This is SQPN, the StarQuest Production Network, leading the way. This episode of The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by Bluehost. It is my favorite hosting provider for my personal blog, fatherroderick.com. What I like about them is that it is really cheap. It's a $6.95 per month. You get your own .com domain name. And most importantly, it's very easy to install a WordPress blog. It's just basically one click of a button and they do the rest. So highly recommend it. If you want to check it out, go to sqpn.com slash bluehost. And this show is also brought to you by my new book, Geek Priest, Confessions of a New Media Pioneer, with the entire first chapter dedicated to my adventures in the world of Star Wars. And this was years and years and years ago, but that love of Star Wars has been with me for all my life. You can read all about it in that book. If you order it, make sure you go to Amazon through the link on our website, starwars.sqpn.com. And if you do that, your purchase will help support our show. And this is The Secrets of Star Wars, episode number six. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Secrets of Star Wars, the podcast where we talk about the upcoming Star Wars movies, of course, episodes 7, 8, and 9, plus all the individual movies that have been promised to us by Disney slash Lucasfilm slash J.J. Abrams slash who else is going to be involved in the future. We'll talk about it, we'll speculate about the tidbits of news that we find on the internet, and of course, if we do get some inside information, which we don't have so far, but if we get it, we make sure we share it with you. Joining me today, as always, is my good friend Dom Bettinelli, all the way from Boston. Hello, Father. How is life over there? Uh, it's uh, winding down for the holiday. We're looking forward to Thanksgiving Day this week uh, here in the U.S., and uh, we're, uh, we're getting excited for some turkey and stuffing and uh, plenty of movies over the weekend. Oh, nice. That's, that's, that's <laughs> always lovely to have a couple of days extra where you can just sit in front of your TV and just watch some stuff. Over here in the Netherlands, in Europe, of course, we don't have that th same Thanksgiving tradition, although I've been in contact with so many Americans over the years that it almost feels like I'm, I'm missing out on something. I should prepare myself at least a little bit of turkey breast or something <laughs> just to, uh, to, to uh, join the festivities on the other side of the ocean. But uh, but this is definitely the time for watching movies for me as well. Actually, yesterday I was doing the show prep for for today's episode, and I got this urge to rewatch Star Wars. And of course, I've got the set on Blu-ray. But um, you know what? I've seen Star Wars so many times uh, um, that I I've never really watched it on Blu-ray. I think I checked out Episode Four, um, and and it was really good. And then I was like, okay, but so what do I do next? Do I watch Empire Strikes Back or do I go back to Phantom Menace? And somehow that kind of scared me <laughs> to have to start with the Phantom Menace. <laughs> and, and there was also this nagging feeling of, you know what? But before you know it, there, there's going to be uh, the, what is it? Um, the other two prequels that are coming out in 3D, at least. I think one has already been converted in 3D, so shouldn't I wait to for, for those to be reissued and, and watch that? I don't know. Um, but <laughs> one thing is for sure, there is going to be a lot of Star Wars in the near future. And, and speaking of those 3D 
conversions. Now, we, we heard uh, a while ago that they had been canceled. This was a big project by Lucasfilm. Of course, it was another uh, way for, for them to make money off us, the fans, <laughs> making us, uh, giving us another reason to, to repurchase the movies. So the Phantom Man is, uh, was issued in 3D. Um, how many years ago? It must, must be at least three years ago, perhaps even longer. Um, theatrically and then on Blu-ray. And then I think um, during the big Star Wars convention or celebration in Germany, there was a showing of uh, the uh, – what is the second movie? I don't even remember. The Something clones. Attack of the clones. Attack of the clones. <laughs> I'm getting so confused with all that Clone Wars stuff out there. The Attack of the clones, which apparently has already been completely finished in 3D, but it was never issued on Blu-ray. And now, and this is news from the Netherlands. Now, we hardly ever have Star Wars news, especially not like world news. But according to the website of the major um, uh, movie theaters, is a chain called Pate. It's originally a French uh, movie theater chain, but they have a lot of theaters in, in Holland. They published a schedule that shows that in 2014, in December 2014, we will see the theatrical release of both Attack of the Clones and The Revenge of the Sith in 3D, in at least in Dutch theaters. So that would be pretty amazing and actually I think a very good move because it will still be a, a year away from the the release of uh, Episode 7. Um, a lot of the theaters that this chain owns in the Netherlands have like everything super duper 3D. They've got even got the, the 48 frames per second ability. Um, I mean, the technology has improved quite a bit. And uh, I, I guess that, that I, I can see a marketing plan where these two re-releases fit in. Well, you want to get people excited, and then here's hoping we might even see a re-release of the other three movies in, you know, perhaps the first part of 2015. You know, ramp ramp up the hype, get things excited, uh, not just for Episode Seven, but they've also got Star Wars Rebels, the TV show coming, yeah. and some other things. And I think we're going to see the hype. The Disney hype machine is going to start to roll here, and we're going to we're going to start to see a lot more Star Wars uh, everything. Uh, as we get closer to December 2015. And I, I th really think that they should do a theatrical re-release of, of 4, 5, and 6 because these new movies, 7 will be a sequel. So for there is an entire generation that has not been able to see 4, 5, and 6 in, in theaters, uh, like my nephews. They, they're way too young. They do play with a lot of the toys, but it's almost everything is Clone Wars-based. That's all they know, and you have to reintroduce them to, let's, let's say, the, the chronology of, of the Star Wars canon so that Episode Seven makes sense. Um, but it, but when, time is running out. the last time 4, 5, and 6 were in theaters? Uh, well, I mean, we don't, that doesn't go all the way back, does it? Did they not re-release them back in the 90s ahead of uh, the prequels? In, the, in theaters? I, I am not sure. I, I, I do know that there was, of course, the re-release uh, with the special editions. Um, a New Hope. I can quickly look it up on IMDb. I'm not even sure if that's uh, if they post that on, on IMDb. I usually just go to Wikipedia, see if there is a, like a re-release. Um, let me see. 
releases, home video releases, um, post-production marketing references. Can't really find it that quickly. But, I mean, that's why this whole 3D story kind of makes sense to me. Because if you want to re-release such old movies, because let's let's face it, even though they are still, they hold up very well, but they are very ancient movies. It's almost like movie history. Um, well, re-releasing them in, in HD, 3D uh, could, could be just the incentive for a lot of theaters to, to, to publish them. And um, I, I can totally see the pitch. It's like, yeah, next year you want to make a lot of money on episode seven. Well, warm up your audiences. We've got this super duper 3D a, a version out there and, and and most Star Wars fans even if they dislike 3D, 3D they will still go and see those movies just because on the big screen it's so different from watching this on a small television and and uh, I see that it, it was they were re-released the special editions in 97 just ahead of the prequels so there's a little precedent there for doing that uh, I can see them doing it and that is sad to say almost 20 years yeah so <laughs> I, can see it, I can see it happening well, and then of course, with the re-release like that, you can do um, you can go visit all the talk shows again. You can generate news, uh, which of course is a lot easier for them and less risky to do around the existing movies than it is to you know start talking about that movie that is still uh, in development. Because there, I guess, the strategy would be to I, if I were them, I would I would kind of downplay the hype for Episode Seven and make sure that it is. A super great movie so that it blows everyone away but if you raise I mean that's the big problem with the Phantom Man is in terms of marketing was everyone's expectations were so high and then the movie came out and it wasn't bad I still think it was a pretty good movie but it was so much less than what, what everyone expected and so I, I guess the other way around would be the way to go expectations are so high right now because it's Disney. It's J.J. Abrams. It's the reboot, uh, uh, in a sense, and you just get you to manage those expectations is very difficult. People are starving for every little nugget and detail, uh, us included. Yes. So that we can talk about it on the show, but uh, it's everything is going to be examined in minute detail. So give people something else to talk about for a while. Sure. So uh, we're not obsessing about every rumor. Uh, uh, that comes out of uh, the production. Right, and you want to kindle uh, the the love for the franchise, for the characters, for the stories, and not just, you know, hyping up a movie that is not there yet. Um, and, and the stronger the bond is, I think, with the entire franchise and with the original canon story, the more, you know, Episode Seven will have this... this, this warm bed <laughs> already waiting there. But um, yeah, it's 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 well, I I I think we will talk at length about this whole marketing aspect of Episode Seven and and future Star Wars movies uh, in in the next two years. It's kind of weird to realize that it's still a two year wait. It might be short in terms of production for such an important movie, but <laughs> we're still in in at the end of 2013 when we were recording this, so. And well, let's let's use that as a nice uh, segue into the news uh, that we want to talk about. This is one of the the, the big announcements, of course, uh, that was made last time. Um, the 
publication date or the release date of episode 7 was moved from the summer 2015 to winter 2015. And J.J. Abrams actually commented on that. Uh, did you read that article, uh, uh, Dom? I saw that uh, mentioned in a few places in an interview, I think with MTV, him talking about why creatively that's a good thing for him. Yeah. Abrams said... Um, I will say that it's infinitely a better situation now than when Disney were saying they wanted it in summer. Um, and, and he said this during an interview with MTV News. Before I even came onto the project, Disney was talking about 2015 and they made this announcement very early on, which I understand why they would want that. But it didn't, but it didn't necessarily have anything to do with the reality of where things were creatively. So I think that's a hugely important thing that that has to come first. Uh, a release date, that's great, but you have to release something great. So to me, the new release date is a huge improvement. Um, again, it shows his commitment to delivering uh, a great movie and not just an, not just an okay movie. And uh, the, the release date, the original release date, summer 2015, was clearly just something that they... <laughs> they just needed a date. They wanted to put pressure on the whole thing. Probably also part of the negotiations. Who knows? Um, an expensive franchise like this, you don't want to waste too much time before you monetize it. Uh, but but Abrams is right. You know, the creative process is so important. And half a year can make all the difference. And the fact that they have made a change in the whole writing process and that they're rewriting the script shows that they take advantage of this extra time. This, this for Disney or for any any Star Wars fan, this may be the most important Star Wars movie uh, since Episode Four, because this is the this is where our the opinions of everyone will be made on whether Star Wars can continue under Disney's leadership. Yes, uh, you know we've moved from Lucasfilm to Disney, from 20th Century Fox to Disney, um, and so everyone is going to be scrutinizing this movie and saying, "Does it live up to the to the promise that Disney and J.J. Abrams made that this will still be Star Wars?" And so, get, having more time to get that right, I'm all for that. Not to mention that this story has to lay the the foundations for for all the sequels. I mean, you have to completely recreate this world and I, I'm, I'm still fascinated by what J.J. Uh, Abrams said, uh, said in, in a couple of interviews that we discussed last time where he was like, you know, I, I, I want to bring Star Wars back to that, to that experience where you feel that there's a, a new world to discover. You don't know much about anything and it's, it's this, this kind of freshness to the franchise which I think um, was also one of the the turnoffs for me when it comes to the extended universe, especially after a couple of years. I mean, I love the the Timothy the, Timothy Zahn uh, novels, and that was all new. Like, wow, we've got more Star Wars, and it felt so similar to to the movies. Uh, but but if I watch like the Clone Wars, for instance, yes, it is Star Wars. It feels. And it sounds like Star Wars. I'm playing um, uh, uh, the Old Republic, uh, the the um, free-to-play um, online game, uh, which I hadn't touched for for months, and I'm I'm starting to play it again more seriously now, and I'm enjoying it so much because it feels very very much like Star Wars. It has the the music, the sound effects, the characters. However, with all that extended universe stuff, it still it is. It feels like Star Wars because it is 
taking a lot of the themes that we've already seen and kind of rehashing them and 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 using a lot of the familiar stuff in a, a slightly different way and that's why why it feels like Star Wars. I think that that JJ Abrams wants to do something a little bit more radical than this. I mean, he could do like a remake of 4 uh, of episode 4 and just take another young young boy or 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 twins and they have to learn the ways of the Force, and and you get basically the the same beats in the story as the original trilogy. But I I wouldn't be surprised if if the movie starts and we're like, what now? Wait, who? Where? Where are we? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if the if the familiar elements to us are the Force, lightsabers, Jedi, uh, spaceships. And and not much else, frankly. I mean, you know, we'll have familiar planets and some things like that. But if this goes in a whole new um, direction, uh, uh, not completely divorced from Star Wars. I mean, you just can't do that. But if he just he, he strikes off in a new, interesting direction with uh, a new a new kind of story, and that won't be bad. That I mean, that that could be very good. It could, however also have repercussions and and we have to look at the timeline of of these interviews and when did he say what and compare that to other news that we know for instance what he said about uh making the star wars universe new and unknown again did that come after or before the change of the script we are pretty positive that with the old script uh they wanted to bring back mark hamill and carrie fisher and harrison ford um now, there are some indications that that might have changed. And it was uh, Samuel L. Jackson, actually, who said something in the news. And again, not sure how seriously we should take this, because after all, he wasn't even rumored to be involved in these new Star Wars movies. But according to him, Mark Hamill and he had not been in talks with uh, with J.J. Abrams about the new movies. And and so I, I I could understand if that was just Samuel Jackson saying this, but the fact that he mentioned Mark Hamill in that statement is like, hmm, could the could the plans have changed? I think he said that um, that he, he and Mark Hamill had just finished filming a movie together, oh, and okay. that uh, at the time Mark Hamill said that the, he had not been um, confirmed for the movie, which is kind of odd that Samuel L. Jackson would say that in an interview, and kind of speaking, uh, it's almost speaking out of turn, I mean, you yeah. you could, um, if Mark Hamill was in actual talks, you could undermine Mark's, you know, uh, uh, you know work in that area, so it's kind of odd, interesting and odd that he would say that um, in an interview, but, um, it, you know, the, the when they, when they scrapped Michael Arndt's story and started something new. I mean, they may really have started something brand new. Something uh, you know, they may have decided that whatever story they had developed that involved our original three or four just wasn't going to work, and, could and be. decided could you know be. we got to we got to start from scratch. I've got I, an, could, I could see that. I have an alternative theory, but let's first listen to this piece of an interview. This is um, Samuel L. Jackson appearing on The Late Show with David Letterman. And it's about a minute long. More Star Wars or are we done with Star Wars? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I was just, after I left Germany, I, I, I actually went to London to start another film. And um, I'm in the film with Mark Hamill. 
So I asked Mark if he'd heard from J.J. Abrams. He said, no. Yeah. So, and then all of a sudden, and, well, and then all of a sudden Ewan was there, and I spoke to him on the phone. I asked him if, if, if he was there doing Star Wars, and he goes, no, they didn't call me. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking maybe all three of us could just get together and go over to the Star Wars set one day and just kind of stand around <laughs> and see if maybe, you know, they well, could use some old Jedi. Why don't you, yeah. why don't you guys just do right. your own Star Wars? Well, and then I heard on television that they were auditioning people for Star Wars, and I said, well, maybe we should just go to the audition and see if, <laughs> to see uh, if, you, <laughs> see if we can get a job. Well, how, now what, if, what if you didn't get the job? That would be unpleasant for everybody, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I pretty much hinted to J.J. that I wanted to be in the film at George Lucas's wedding, and he was kind of like, hmm. Well, isn't now, that, that something? Was, that was about the most I got yeah. out of him. Was... <laughs> well, you know, I still think that there is a bit of a difference between Jackson and, or the chances of Jackson be ending up in the movie and, uh, and Mark Hamill, because... Yeah, he, his character, Maze Windu, was killed, right? So he has no reason to be there. It would just be distracting. As a, as a force ghost next to uh, uh, Obi-Wan. <laughs> that's, that's another option, yes. They could all return as ghosts. That is, you're, you're totally right about that. So there, there is another option here, and that we know, we absolutely certainly know that, that Mark Hamill and, well, very likely also uh, Carrie Fisher and uh, Harrison Ford were in talks in the early stages, around the time that the announcement was made that the franchise was moved to Disney. So we do know that there has been contact. Um, but, again, that might have been even before J.J. Abrams got involved, before it was clear that this script didn't work. But what if... I mean, the backlash of not involving the three could could be bad. I mean, I think a lot of fans would love to see them back. Um, also, for the promotional value, to think of of um, uh, of the new Star Wars, Star Trek movies, and how cool it was to saw to see the original Spock appear and be be part of of the narrative. I think it just added so much excitement and it gave such such con continuity. Um, I mean, I think it would be a fatal error not to involve them somehow. But what if? Mark Hamill is going to be involved, or the three are going to be involved, but their appearance in the movie will be a secret and will be like one of the big reveals. I've been thinking, instead of just letting them play a small role in the first five minutes of the story, like, oh, here is grandfather, you know, Luke Skywalker living remotely like an Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he hands over the lightsaber to the new heroes. What, what if they would do something a lot more... Uh, important with those three characters. I mean, they're going to pay quite a hefty fee to get them in the movies. So why not use that? And and I, I keep thinking of what would be very Star Wars-like um, in terms of the narrative would be to repeat in a certain way the cycle of father and son. Um, I mean, that that's, that's such a fundamental theme. And you have uh, um, uh, Anakin Skywalker... Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Um, th th there is this, you know, goodness, fall, redemption. I think it would be awesome to have that same story arc for Luke Skywalker, where we would all assume that he's just this wise Obi-Wan Kenobi, Kenobi Jedi, but what if 
just like in the extended universe in in what was that story where where uh, I think it was a, one of the comics where uh Luke Skywalker fell to the dark side I still think that could, that could be awesome and, and and imagine the reveal you know like <laughs> you have these you you follow these young Jedi and you see them probably coming from a, a Tatooine like planet where it's all simple and they've not heard of the force and then they get initiated and then they discover that there's this bad guy nobody knows who it is and then ultimately in the very last moment of the movie is like I am the bad guy and it's Mark Hamill <laughs> or a uh, reveal uh, you know where he's in the movie uh, as and you think he's a good guy and then the end is you know sort of like we did with Darth Sidious and and Palpatine, although yeah. any Star Wars fan knew that Palpatine was the bad mm-hmm. guy. Uh, but you know, you, he's through the movie, and then to the end. Although I gotta say, as scrutinized as this movie is gonna be, that will be a very hard secret to keep. <laughs> that uh, not get let that get out. However, they have been able to keep so many secrets. I mean, it's it's incredible that with in a few months they're gonna start shooting. We still don't know anything about the story. So I am really impressed by how much they are keeping secret, and it's probably because they haven't shoot, uh, started shooting yet. Uh, but but I mean, a lot of the design stuff, uh, pre-production, must be in full swing. They must be building sets. We have seen nothing, nada, and this is happening right across the pond here, next to the Netherlands. I mean, I could just you know go by boat and be at the foot of the studios tomorrow. Uh, but I, I think they're doing a very, very good job keeping us curious. But, but my, my point is, if there is a story arc where uh, the, the character of Luke Skywalker is going to be part of some twist or a surprise or anything, there might be a reason not to talk about it too soon. Because then you get people speculating, you know, what could his role be? Just like we're doing right now. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's mysterious. It's, it's, but the, it's, it's also totally possible that they they decided to you know let's let's just play safe and not try to uh, put too much stuff in this first movie. Let's just keep it simple. Start uh, reboot the universe. Do something like Star Trek. I don't know, but I I, the, I hope the other alternative for these these uh, these characters that we know is they kill them off in the beginning of the movie. Oh no, Maybe. they can't. <laughs> no, I don't I'm not saying they should, but that would be one of those things that would cause everyone to talk and it would it would it, it would certainly amp up the energy and emotion uh and, and the investment of the fans in what in the outcome of this movie. Uh you know, it, it I mean again, we're just we're just speculating here. We're just pie in the sky sort of stuff. Well, but, but remember JJ Abrams is is one of the main, you know, uh let's say writer not really the writer but but he he came up with lost and one of the i think one of the strengths of lost was that they did kill off important characters and they remained dead it was not like yeah it was just seemingly dead but hey we cloned him and now he's back again uh no a dead was dead and it did have an impact on everyone and on the entire story uh it's one of the it's a place where not many t- television shows dare to go uh, once upon a time. <clears throat> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not the well, strange or other podcast. Agents but. of Shield, you know. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Where yes, they just exactly. bring back Colton. But um uh, yeah, that's true. Although I think it would be perhaps too much of a shock in the first movie to do that. It, it might be. Uh but you know, again, I would be surprised that if if what Samuel L. Jackson was saying is still holds true that they haven't 
they haven't brought in at least one of those three. I, I think it's possible that they won't bring in all three. I think at least one of them will be in the movie and, and something. I just have, I just believe yeah. it. I have no, now, well, no reason to believe it. I just I just have that 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 belief of a fan uh-huh. that one, at least one of them will be there. I I I keep thinking about this idea uh, that you mentioned that perhaps they will get killed off. Um, that is another th- recurring theme in Star Wars in both. Uh, trilogies. We had the death of Aunt Beru and Uncle o- Owen. Um, we didn't get to know them very well. That was the problem. So their, their, the emotional weight uh, wasn't very strong. Um, and uh, I, I think nowadays with movies, they, they do a better job kind of st- making us love the characters before they kill them off because it will impact us. We did, we did however, it was still one of the strongest moments, I think, in, in episode four. Uh, where you see on Mark Hamill's face the suffering and and his shock of discovering that his, uh, his foster parents had been killed, and then or of course you got the, the traumatic. Say again. No, I'm sorry. There were even bigger deaths, or a bigger death in 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 the sense of a bigger character in Obi Wan. Yes. I mean, and yes. how the you know, Luke having just lost Aunt Peru and Uncle Owen also loses Obi Wan, who is this connection to his father. And then similarly in uh, Phantom Menace, we lose Qui-Gon. Yes. They're not averse to killing off these big characters. And and more traumatically for Anakin and probably the the basis of of his anger um, and his fall to the dark side is they kill off uh, Shmai, his mother, in the second movie in a terrible way. I mean really, really missed opportunity there um, because it's a great actress uh, and, and she... I, I think she didn't get enough room to for for her death, <laughs> but it it, it was a, an integral part of the story of Anakin Skywalker and his his uh, fall to the dark side. So yeah, actually, I think you're onto something. There will be an, definitely an important death in the first movie and potentially even in the second movie if they want to uh, kind of follow that that cyclical nature of these stories. And you could maybe even combine the your previous idea, an important death that causes an important character to fall to the dark side. You, you know, if yep. if we're looking for parallels to mm-hmm. the original six, that could be one of them. Well, there has to be some kind of fall to the dark side or seduction. That is just such quintessential Star Wars stuff. Um, and it needs to be motivated. You need to understand why, which is something that with Anakin didn't really work that much because we thought ultimately the feeling that a lot of people had after seeing the movies is well he didn't really fall to the dark side because his mom died just because he's a jerk <laughs> and because of jar jar because of jar jar who wouldn't fall to the dark side after having met jar jar i mean think of the trauma but <laughs> but uh yeah and and I, the emotional impact not to mention the marketing opportunities of killing off one of one or all of the original cast members wow man talk about talk about the hype you would generate the uh, the attention it would garner uh, for, for to kill off one of those characters how people would react wouldn't Harrison Ford just volunteer for that <laughs> i mean after all he almost got killed off by the at the end of empire strikes back right uh, I think he's been uh, ready for Han Solo to get killed off for a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Is would that be beyond J.J. Abrams? I, I, I mean, Star Trek. Everybody's still alive, although, well, 
Well, no, wait. No, they killed Spock's mom. In the, the, they, the, they killed Vulcan. <laughs> yeah, the entire planet. Okay, there's a little detail of the entire planet. But his mom, come on. Yeah. But, but you know, I mean, but like J.J. Yeah. Abrams took Vulcan is is in Star in Star Trek, you know, a a key element of the entire series and mythos and everything, and he had no compunction about going in and and destroying that planet. Yeah, uh, that's that's a that's bold into uh, a bold change in that entire mythos. Uh, he loves Star Wars even more. I can't imagine him as a filmmaker not wanting to to make a similarly bold impact upon the mythos. Well, and you know what? Thinking of parallels, and I didn't expect us to go so far into speculation territory this uh, today, but while we're at it, um, think of the parallel between the destruction of, uh, of Vulcan and th- thereby establishing how evil the bad guy truly is, and then the destruction of Alderaan in, in A New Hope, where... Again, the problem is that we don't know. We have not seen Alderaan. Now we've seen it thanks to the prequels, but only just a few seconds. But uh, and and there, I think the um, extended universe has been very helpful to to uh, create this uh, a little bit more background to the world of Alderaan. So when you've read all that and then you see the destruction of that planet, you you kind of feel a little bit more what Princess Leia must be feeling. But um. But again, in both movies, the destruction of a big planet as like the ultimate evil is just genocide of an entire planet. So something like that, like a big disaster. You you need to – a great movie needs a great villain or villains, but preferably just one villain. So So if our, our, uh, say, uh, Han and Leia on uh, Coruscant and Coruscant is destroyed – um, by our villain mm-hmm. uh, Darth Luke, uh, you know that is that is a very big open to this entire new set of movies, and I mean that would be that's a big enough story to last a yeah. trilogy. Or or the destruction of well Tatooine, no one's going to care because nobody lives on that planet, but it's still an important planet. Um... Poor Jawas. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I'm not sure about Coruscant because it's, you know, it's a city world. It's also a world that is associated. Wait a minute. The Jedi Council was on Coruscant. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, it is definitely the most historically the most important planet of, of the Star Wars universe. So, hmm. hmm. Anyway, that's we're you know way too far into spoiler territory. Yeah, uh, we might crash into. It's like an asteroid field. <laughs> you know, you keep flying and you just you will crash. <laughs> we're so far off in speculation. Yes, let's start. At, let's talk about facts again. Um, one of those facts is uh, that the auditions are still underway uh, in in several different countries and we get the same kind of report from all over the world in that e- these auditions um, usually result in thousands of people showing up and almost inevitably the entire process uh, being very disappointing to uh, a lot of the hopefuls that showed up to take on one of those roles. Um, I found two reports of people that went through uh, uh, the auditions, in both, I think, in the UK. So um, here, here's an article. And I love reading it because it kind of gives you a glimpse of how, how this whole process takes place, what they're looking for. Um, this is a guy called Matthew Davies. 
And he has been auditioning. Let me see if I can find where that was. It's in London. Um, so he had to wake up really early, went there with his girlfriend, and then basically stood in line for hours and hours. Um, they, they told everyone that the doors would open at 6, and then they only opened the doors at 8. Um, and that there, there was just an incredibly diversified crowd there, not just the people um, that looked like anything like the descriptions uh, on the call sheet. Anyone who 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 just hoped to be in Star Wars was there. And then he's like, you know, and then after all this time, we got closer and closer. And then um, finally we go through the door and then we're on the inside and we see this new huge line on the inside of the building. And this reminded me so much of, of a lot of the theme parks where you're like, oh, we're almost there. We're almost there. And then you turn around the corner and there's this whole, you know, in, internal line and it, it takes you another hour. And then finally, they they get um, they go through this building, and then outside there is this blue tent. And and once they're getting closer, everybody's getting excited and uh, looking in the mirror and checking if their hair is all right. And then they're they're of course pondering about all the things they're going to say to these casting uh, directors, um, their love of Star Wars, how they would play a villain, how they would play a young Jedi. And then basically, they're brought in like I don't know how many at the time, but tons. They just have to stand in line. They literally get looked at for one second or a fraction of a second. They have to hand in their uh, photo and the 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 um, uh, the paper that they had to fill in with some very basic data, and then they're rushed out, and that's it. And apparently, there were like girls crying outside and <laughs> feeling completely rejected. Not having had a chance, and um, uh, the other report that I read said uh, only like five percent of the people that went through this process was invited for a second um, screening, uh, if you want. And so they were definitely just looking for, you know, faces. And and um, I assume that these casting directors are very experienced, and that you know they 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 need to, of course, sift out. A lot of the candidates, because you, you just can't have conversations with every uh, everyone individually if, if a couple of thousand people show up. But uh, uh, there is a suspicion of a, a lot of these people that went to the editions that, in fact, this is probably more of a publicity stunt than it is a true open edition. What's your take on that? Well, I think, you know, how long would it take to audition? 2,000 people with that personal one-to-one. -one. I think there's a, an element where they're they're hoping for the to cast an unknown, mm -hmm. uh, a, 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 to discover a diamond in the rough, a new talent like Mark Hamill was, like um, uh, um, well, like they hoped Hayden Christensen would be, mm -hmm. um, just to, to, to the the new face of of the new Star Wars. Um, if you bring in uh, a, a an actor like uh, you know earlier in the summer we heard rumors about Ryan Gosling and Zac Efron. If you bring someone like that in, they bring baggage. They bring all of every previous role they've ever done. Not to I mention think, a considerable payroll. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think uh, there's a hope uh, in here to find someone who is a, a fresh face, um, and and you know. That that whole process of you know look at person in the face for a second, I mean, I would guess that 99% of the people in these lines 
did not even come close to the description yes. that we had for the two roles. So it, you know, it, it is probably pretty easy to say, no, you don't fit, you don't fit, you don't fit, and to and to look at a few. I mean, it's very interesting to me to see the places they're going for these roles. Mm-hmm. Troy, Michigan, um, uh, you know, Chicago. Uh, there's, there's very specific places that they're going to, and I'm kind of interested in in kind of uh, thinking about. What does that say for what they're looking for? You know, if you go to the Midwest United States, you're, you're going for that that what they call the the, the old phrase is corn-fed, all-American uh, boy and girl. Uh, you know, uh, no accent basically. You have Chicago accent, but you know, but basically that Midwestern accent. That um, could be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, from the reports on these casting calls, however, the five percent of the people that was invited back was again just all sorts of people: uh, big, slender, small, tall, uh, old, young, um, whatever ethnicity. Um, and so again, it's, it's like, do they really just want those two roles, or is this in disguise actually a big? Uh, are they casting a much wider net to find uh, perhaps even smaller roles? And and uh, I don't know. You know, we have those two characters that were described, but who tells us that that is uh, all they're looking for? And it might all actually be a scheme uh, where they're looking for totally different roles. It's all possible. Uh, we we do have an indication that they are definitely looking for uh, to fill other roles as well, and that there's casting underway uh, for um, some other major characters. The most interesting rumor was that, uh, and this is from the Hollywood Reporter, and this is a scoop from the inside, that um, uh, after the script rewrite by Abrams and Kasdan, they are now searching for the right actor to play a new role of a forty-something military man. Uh, much like Matt Damon uh, in Elysium. Have you seen that movie, Elysium? I have not, no. Oh, it's a great science fiction movie. Uh, also also starring Jodie Foster. It basically tells the story of this uh, space station where the privileged and the rich live, and then you have Earth where it's one big wasteland, and, and Matt Damon's character tries to get through that space station. And um, very rugged, tough... Uh, also, a very damaged uh, character. Uh, very interesting, though, and a true hero. Um, very military. So, um, yeah, a, a military um, character in in a movie um, could be could go both ways. Could be a like a seasoned Jedi, if in between Star Wars uh, uh, six and and seven, there has been like a, a renewal of the Jedi Order, or could be I don't know. Like a, a new a new military force in the universe could also be a bad guy, or a good guy that becomes a bad guy. But uh, military a military character to me says action. You you want I mean this is Star Wars. There has to be a war going on. Other and and that that would also be typical typical for for J.J. Abrams is let's go back to the to the source. You know what 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 is what makes Star Wars Star Wars? Well, it's about wars. So it makes sense to have it like a general or whatever, or a soldier. It would be interesting to see the, the, the it just it's interesting to me that they've they've they specifically identified this character, this Matt Damon and Elysium character, 
uh, as the sort of thing that they're looking for. Um, I, 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 I now I really want to see this movie uh, so I can get some more insight into yeah. into what Star Wars is going to be. But uh, I find that a very interesting choice. Well, I'm not um, sure if that you know the the uh, Matt Damon Elysium reference was from from the original source as well. Uh, but or it could just have been something that Hollywood Reporter deduced, but it could be. They're just looking for something a bit like uh, like a, a military guy. Um, th- there there was a rumor about uh, Jason Fleming, um, who played in X Men First Class, to have auditioned, um, and he did something I think unforgivable and stupid, unless it was planned. He posted a photo on Instagram. With a glass of beer, and under the glass of beer is a red-colored piece of the script. I'm not kidding you. This is this is uh, <laughs> incredible. Um, you can you can just Google it. The photo was removed from Instagram almost instantly, but of course not after a lot of people had already grabbed the uh, the image. So what makes me believe that this is uh, genuine? is the color of the script. And I remember this from the days of The Phantom Menace when I was gathering a lot of uh, um, material um, and I was trying to, to piece together um, the, the story. Uh, we, we knew that a lot of the script's pages were uh, were printed on colored pages and especially red. Why? Because if you put uh, a red a piece of paper under a photocopier, it turns out black and you can't read it. Seems to be a bit redundant in the days of, you know, mobile phones. <laughs> and Instagram. And Instagram. <laughs> but it is uh, definitely um, something that they that they used to do. Like have this very you know, bright red color for s- stuff that they didn't want to get copied. Now, I'll describe the, the photo. I've, I've got it here in front of me. It's like a lot of Instagram photos. It's a little bit too blurry, <laughs> so you can't really tell what's on it. It definitely seems like more than just a character description. Th- these are actual lines, and they look like they're from a, from a screenplay. Um, because you have like a, an, a, an opening description. It, it has all the characteristics of a screenplay, uh, the, the courier uh, typeface. It, it, it puts the locations uh, uh, in, in capitals, in all caps. Uh, and then underneath the first paragraph, there are like one, two, three, four phrases, lines of dialogue. Then there is another description, and then there's more dialogue. And then um, there is a stamped on top of the of the page is are a few letters and I'm trying to read this is o n leaming leaming l e m y n g um that would be his name that's his Let name me. there you go <laughs> like, okay that makes that makes sense so this is a personalized piece of the script for him and then there's a little bit of of, of scribbling on the left side looks like it was done with a, um, a black marker or something like that um, it, there seems to be more than one page because there's this it, it's stapled on the left upper side so it, 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 this could be like two or three pages of a script and again could be totally fake, could be something they made up, or it could actually be part of the original script. And if that's the case, then um, then he's he's in big trouble, and he would certainly not be considered for a role anymore. 
I wonder if anyone has put this this photo into uh, Photoshop and done a little, uh, uh, as they say in all the TV shows, enhance on the uh, on the text to see if we can figure out what it actually says. Yeah, I I I'm trying to to look at it, but it's it's too hard. I mean, you see, it's 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 the stuff. The more you you stare at it, the less you see. <laughs> exactly. Um, but um, but fascinating stuff. And and yeah, why would you post that photo online? Unless again, conspiracy theory. This was all planned, and it's just another way to generate hype. Because of course everyone knows that the script can't be out. It's it's probably not even finished. So why you know why would they even? <sighs> it could even just be an audition script. You know, it, it's yeah, not actual true, part true. of the movie. Just just a, yeah, a scene for him to read. But still, probably since it's printed on red, not something they want it, they want to have, you know, be leaked out on the internet. Uh, but but the fact that he you know he puts it there and it's like a little bit too blurry. There's a glass of beer on it. It's red. It could all be part of the hype, you know. Let's let's taunt the fans. They will go over this. They will. I mean, this is not beyond J.J. Abrams and the hype machine. This is classic stuff that they do to get people excited. Um, I don't know what happened to the guy, <laughs> whether he got rejected or not. I guess we'll see in the credits at least. Apparently, other actors, having revealed even the fact of their audition. Uh, later didn't get the part. Now, whether that was because uh, they talked or just because they weren't right for the role, we don't know. But uh, it, it, it's best if you if you audition for this role, anyone out there listening, don't tell anyone about it yet. Right, right. So um, the, uh, the, the, the rest of the casting process, um, we don't know exactly who has been hired yet, uh, what they're looking for. We have a tiny little quote by UK casting agent Kate Bone, who said about the search, we don't want to leave any stone unturned. Yeah, yeah, that's saying something without saying anything. <laughs> and then uh, in, in, in the same week, we got some quotes from J.J. Abrams when they asked him about where they are at. Um, and he said, uh, working with uh, Larry Kasdan has been one of the most surreal joys of my life. We've had a lot of fun working together. He's an incredible guy and an inspiring and spectacular writer. So again, it's J.J. Abrams showing the world that Kasdan is involved. So what can go wrong, right? He's fantastic. It's the stuff that you also see in a lot of extras on DVDs. It's like, oh, working with this actor slash director slash screenwriter was amazing. He's such a nice guy. He has such a vision. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> every movie is perfect, and the production of every movie just goes yes. swimmingly. Everybody loves each other. <laughs> well, you do have every once in a while, and it's very rare, you do have these DVD commentaries where the, the movie has been a total disaster, and then the actors are sitting there, and they actually agree. <laughs> those are always so much fun to listen to. <laughs> those are the better ones. I like those. Yeah, but not in Star Wars. I don't think we'll ever no. see that happening. The director, J.J. Abrams, also spoke about shooting in London despite his best efforts to keep the production in Los Angeles. It is something that I've always intended to do, but I'm torn because I have done everything I can to keep the production of my projects in Los Angeles. Yet the opportunity to work with UK crews is something that has always been a dream of mine. Of course, that dream existed prior to me being married and having a family. So the reality of making a movie like that for any period of time becomes much more difficult when there are other people that you desperately love and care for involved. 
That's kind of J.J. Abrams to family, man. We don't see that J.J. Abrams often, but I appreciate that. That is a that is a very good point. I mean, that that when they commit to these movies, and again, this is going out to 2015, he's basically moving to London yeah. for for this period of time in whatever locations he's he's going on. And bringing your family along or not, both will uh, will uh, require the consent, of course, of at least your wife. And then, you know, what's it going to do with the kids? Uh, I don't know how. I don't know much about his family actually, and it's not something that we discuss on on the on this particular uh, podcast. But yeah, it's kind of cool that at least he 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 sees that this is a sacrifice for for his family. It's he's it's not just a job, you know. This is part of your life. You know, actually speaking of his family, uh, this is my my six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Uh, uh-huh. My sister worked with J.J. Abrams' brother-in-law previously. Oh, really? So, <laughs> so when Lost first appeared on the, on the air. Uh, I was getting lots of interesting uh, behind-the-scenes tidbits about the show, so I'll have to see if she can make connection with uh, his his brother-in-law again. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, if all of a sudden you're unavailable for this podcast, we know what what happened, right? <laughs> I will have been cast as a Wookie, <laughs> <laughs> or an Ewok, maybe is more likely. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, J.J. Uh, Abrams is married to Katie. McGrath and has three children, sons August and Henry and daughter Gracie. Um, so um, we know that George Lucas put his own children in um, The Phantom Manus. We know that Peter Jackson did. Perhaps we will see some J.J. Abrams kids ending up as Jedi. Who knows? Hey, this was the weirdest rumor that I've read. Um, did you know who else apparently, allegedly... Uh, did an addition for a an unspecified role. Matt no. Smith, Matthew Robert Smith, wow. aka Doctor Who. How weird is that? I've never seen him as anything else, so it's very difficult to separate him from that role. But it would be very interesting to see Matt Smith doing something different. And something Star Wars related would be very interesting. Well, and we know that he's going to be available, right? Because well, he, he's the, certainly it, done with Doctor Who. That, that's it. There's a new Doctor. So he's, he's, he's done there. But, um, you know, what, what kind of character could he play? I, I, I have to admit immediately, I'm still in the process of watching... You know, all these seasons of Doctor Who that I missed, so I'm in the third season, so I haven't even arrived at the Matt Smith era. Uh, I think you're you're more up to date with Doctor Who, are you? Yeah, I've I've actually caught up. I mean, he's a he's a very physical actor in the sense that, like they talk about Jim Carrey, you know, his movements, uh, he's very animated and active. Um, could play a, a role that would involve someone with a lot of energy, I think. I think that's, that's what I, I really... Uh, I think of when I think of Matt Smith as a as an actor, so um, almost manic in his mannerisms, at least in that role. I mean, he's an actor, so he's he's playing a role. But uh, that would be a very interesting. I, I don't see him necessarily fitting any of the the, the descriptions we've heard. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean really anything, as we've said. It could, they, you know, they, these are these could be just uh, smoke screens for what they're really looking for. But that would be very interesting. I I think he could actually be interesting as a villain. Uh, because we know him as a Time Lord, but, hmm. I don't know. That, just, is, that is interesting. He strikes me as a as someone who could who could probably portray a very believable, intelligent villain. 
and we know that the villain has to be British, right? <laughs> a British, yes. Yeah, to be a villain in Star Wars, you have to have a British accent. Uh, the yes. bad guys are always British. Sorry, uh, England. <laughs> so, uh, and and then we we still have those ongoing rumors uh, about Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, also starring in in the new Star Wars movies. According and this is where again in rumor territory this has not been confirmed, but there is a rumor that says that Cumberbatch uh, would only have a minor role in Episode Seven before taking on the main villain role in Episode Eight and Episode Nine. Um, yeah, I mean this is just a it's just one of those rumors. I, I this was on um, io9.com, so. Uh, and it's it's a, a slightly older rumor. Um, now that I've, <laughs> I'm looking at the article, this is from September 19th, so this might actually still be uh, part of the old the old plans. I haven't heard anything after this though about him him being involved. But uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Matt Smith, definitely also looking for some more established actors for some of the roles, not just the uh, the unknowns. We do have one confirmation. I wanted to keep this for the end of the show because, uh, well, it's it's big news and it's very joyful news. We do know at least that one character is back. And if I remember the very first episode of this podcast that we recorded, we 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 speculated about you know what has to be part of Star Wars to to make it Star Wars. You know what are the characters that have to be part or or people that have to be involved. Well. There is, of course, the one little droid, the astromach droid, that has to be part of Star Wars. And it's R2-D2. And he is confirmed to be back in Star Wars 7. Actually, uh, and I know that most of our listeners have already seen this, this was the very first behind-the-scenes photo that was published from the workshop, wherever that may be. I assume this is in the UK. Uh, in London, actually, the probably around, somewhere around Elstree Studios, and it shows on the left side J.J. Uh, Abrams, on the right side of the picture uh, Kathleen Kennedy, and then right there in the center R2D2. Behind R2D2, two of its creators, and this is a f- fantastic story. Um, this R2D2 is actually fan-made, and. Um, this this is um, let me try to find this this story because I I love it um, how they um, uh, how they brought these people in so first behind the scenes photo of Star Wars Episode Seven hit Twitter last Thursday this is uh, when was this November nineteen featuring uh, Abrams Kathleen Kennedy and a certain blue and white astromech droid who now StarWars.com can confirm will indeed be in the film. But who are the two men standing behind Ardu, looking very protective of the overweight glob of grease? Meet Lee Towersy and Oliver Steeples, Star Wars fans and members of the worldwide R2-D2 Builders Club. I had never heard of that club. <laughs> they create fully functioning film accurate astromech droids like the R2D2 seen in the photo and they're officially part of the creature effects team for Star Wars Episode 7. They didn't apply for their jobs but still had what is probably the best reference one could hope for. This is how it happens. Happened. Says Steeples who finished his first R2D2 in 2007 after 10 years of collecting parts and researching. Here's what he said. It all started when Kathleen Kennedy toured the R2-D2 Builders area at Celebration Europe this past summer in Germany. 
I was in Rio at the time. I couldn't go. I couldn't go. See, she posed for pictures with us, looked at all the droids we, we'd built, and it was very complimentary. I mentioned that the R2-D2 builders in the UK were available if required, as a, as a semi-joke. When I was contacted to work on the film by executive producer Jason McGatlin, it was on her recommendation. Steeples from Berkshire, England, and Tower C from Middlesex, England, are working full-time on Star Wars Episode Seven at Pinewood Studios. I said Elstree is Pinewood, of course, where the Twitter photo was taken. Focusing solely on Astromac building, for now. Keeping an Astromac droid in working condition throughout the production of a film is a challenge, as it's filled with gears, lights, and electronics. Steeples and Towersy were, were chosen because of their expertise and experience, both having worked on Star Wars-themed commercials for the UK appliances megastore Curry's. Says Towersy, who built the droid seen in the tweet, and it looks fantastic. I, I, I totally thought it was the R2-D2 of the movies, but it's not. It's fan-built. We know the pressures of filming, prepping, and being able to assure reliability throughout the shoot. We have a good knowledge of R2 with a large stock of parts for reference and drawings. Plus, we know what is involved throughout the, the whole building process, as well as potential problems we need to avoid. Despite their impressive understanding of how to uh, construct an astromech droid and keep it functioning, Steeples and Towersy still have a goal for Star Wars Episode Seven to build a better R2-D2. Says Towersy, what we, what we do need to, is, need to do is to improve on the mechanics. We're, we're currently in a research and design phase where we are looking at drive options for reliability on all possible terrains. Interesting. We didn't talk much about locations yet whether it be an one motor does all or a system which is easily adjusted depending on terrain we have a few mocked up ideas which we hope to road test very soon so both are huge fans uh, they feel very privileged to work in this environment uh, it's a dream come true well of course <laughs> <laughs> For every fan, what an amazing, amazing opportunity. And Steeple says, I hope I can live up to the expectations of the thousands of R2-D2 builders around the world, let alone the millions of Star Wars fans. How cool is that? <laughs> As R2-D2 builders, they now have the resources and money of, a, of the production of a movie behind them to build a better R2. This must be amazing. This must be in, in, in seventh heaven. Well, and, and they're both hired full time and they're talking about various terrains, which tells me that we will see R2-D2 at least on, on I assume, in, in, in various locations, uh, perhaps even various planets. And you know why that is important? Because the original idea of, of George Lucas was to tell the entire story of Star Wars, all six movies, from the perspective of the two droids. It's something he took from the Japanese movie legacy. Um, and I think it was The Seven Samurai, which is narrated entirely from the perspective of two uh, bickering uh, farmers. And uh, they're kind of comedic relief, but they're also ultimately the people that tell the story and in a way R2-D2 is the only character in the six movies that had not had his memory erased still has the recollection of everything that happened in the Star Wars universe where he was involved and so it totally makes sense to to let him be um, the let's say the the at least be involved in in the main storyline um 
And we know that J.J. Abrams has a, a lot of affection for R2-D2, so much so that he even did uh, had created a cameo for R2-D2 in Star Trek. Did you see that? <laughs> I don't I don't remember seeing that. Where, where was that? Well, you can just uh, Google for uh, R2-D2 cameo uh, Star Trek. I'll have to look and for that. It's basically the same thing that the uh, that the um, uh, special effects people did in Empire, Empire Strikes Back, where you have the asteroid field, and um, they were um, racing to get everything uh, done in time. And uh, so at one point they were using potatoes <laughs> as as asteroids, and then one of the guys was like, "You know what? Let's put in a shoe." So they put in a sneaker. It's a, it's a famous little. Easter egg in Empire Strikes Back. So if you look carefully from the, the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, you see a sneaker zooming by as disguised as an asteroid. And this is also uh, the case in um, with R2-D2 in the first Star Trek movie helmed by J.J. Abrams. At one point, there's this big explosion of the uh, – I think it's the, 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 the ship of the villains, this huge spaceship that explodes. And um, – or it might be – Actually, could, this could also have been in the beginning of the movie. I'm not sure. But anyway, there's a lot of debris uh, floating outside. And uh, part of that debris is a, a little astromech droid. <laughs> and there's literally one frame where you see that it's R2-D2. <laughs> and then it's motion blurred. So that, And then when they asked J.J. Uh, Abrams about R2-D2, he answered, well, how do you do Star Wars without R2-D2? And then, very interesting question, they asked him, is C-3PO coming back as well? And then J.J. Um, Abrams replied, well, they have different agents. <laughs> so what does that tell us? That he is in talks with Anthony Daniels, right? Right. You can bring back R2-D2 pretty easily just yes. by building him. Right. But to bring back, R2, but to bring back C-3PO, you've actually got to negotiate with an actor. <laughs> so Anthony Daniels, of course, is C-3PO, um, has to be involved for the voice at least. But I guess that, uh, again, and this is probably part of the whole negotiation process, they will keep all their options open. They do have R2-D2, which would be enough. They can easily explain away uh, uh, C-3PO missing. Perhaps he was destroyed. He's clumsy after all. He, he got beheaded in, in the second Star Wars movie. So, um, But uh, I think that the fact that they, he mentions an agent means that they're in talks. It's clear. And I think, um, it. well, I always assumed that C-3PO and R2-D2 were both going to be back again because they're so iconic. And they don't age. So <laughs> they're very easy to uh, bring back without and, 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 and provide uh, recognizable elements that will make it Star Wars. It's kind of like the ring in The Hobbit. You know, in The Hobbit story – the 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 role of the ring is is of course not so important but peter jackson has made it very clear uh, from the beginning that he wanted to show already a lot more of the kind of the evil dimension of the ring in the hobbit as well and i think one of the important reasons was that that this would also help people that don't re remember the story of the hobbit that much and have that expectations of the expectation of the lord of the rings they they want to uh, evoke that. It's like, oh, that's the same ring. And both in the first and in the second Hobbit movie, uh, the ring is actually back and and plays, uh, uh, is already there with, you know, a, a pretty ominous role. 
So I, I'd say R2-D2 and C-3PR to Star Wars what the, what the ring is to Peter Jackson's uh, Hobbit movies. Uh, but exciting times. And I, I love it when we have a confirmation. So R2-D2 is back. <laughs> Our first confirmed. And with that, I think we need to wrap things up. Uh, unless there's anything else that you wanted to mention, um, Star Wars No, I'm wise. good. I'm good. It's enough for me to, to so, uh, so much already. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's good to have at least something coming up now that we can be talking about and uh, and enjoying and even speculating. Very soon, things will go in overdrive. Um, I think after the new year, um, we will see probably also a bit of the marketing getting into gear. The, uh, the casting will be over. And so they will have to feed us with something. So I, I, I guess that we will get to see... Uh, little bits like blurred out photos from 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 probably uh, Pinewood Studios, and um, because there are going to be more people involved in the whole pre-production, chances are that we will get some leaks as well, which of course is part of the fun of this uh, of this entire process. We are happy to be part of the hype around Star Wars 7. It's all worth it. Thank you all for listening. And if you listen to this before Thanksgiving, first of all, thank you. Because we know that these are busy times for <laughs> Americans preparing their turkey. But we appreciate it if this is after Thanksgiving. We hope you had a, a wonderful couple of days, uh, some time off. And for all those of you that are not from the United States... Well, our thanksgiving to you for listening to us, supporting us, and also for uh, those of you that have taken some time to go to um, iTunes and leave us a review or a rating. We really, truly appreciate it if you help us spread the word about this podcast. Keep sending us your feedback, starwars at sqpn.com, and you can find this episode and future ones on our websites, uh, website, which is starwars.sqpn.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at Star Wars Secrets, and on Facebook, same thing, Star Wars Secrets. We will be back soon with another episode. Don't know when, don't know where, but it will be coming. That is for sure. So uh, thanks again, Dom, for joining me today, and have a happy Thanksgiving. And uh, Thank you, Father. May the Force be with you. SQPN. Leading the way in Catholic new media.